Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. Praise the Lord. Give God some praise. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You're so good, Lord. We love you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Now, you can be seated. Praise the Lord. I hope that you will take that advice and get into a life group for your sake and the sake of others. Because we've been dealing with relationships. We've been talking about for the last month and a half, two months, it's all about relationships. Our church body is all about relationships. Your work environment, it's all about relationships. Your family, it's all about relationships. You, you are in relationships, whether you like it or not, in one way or another. You can say, well, I have to separate myself from everybody else so that I'm not in relationships, but you're still in relationship. Because every day you have to face a person that you're in relationship with, yourself. But I want to talk to you today about the most important relationship we have to deal with in our entire life, and that's our relationship with the one who made us, our Father, God himself. He's either just our creator, someone that we may casually acknowledge, or even someone that we may say doesn't exist. And just because we say something doesn't exist doesn't mean that it doesn't exist because it's there. We can't see wind, but we know that wind exists because you can feel the effects of it. It's all around you. If you don't believe it, go with me to Hatteras Island sometime, and I'll show you some wind. Uh, we used to live there, and, and uh, every day you walk out of the house, some days it would be calm, but it was rare. And back then, you know, that was back when I had hair. You know, you know it was in the glory days. And, and I would walk out of the house, and it was like somebody was standing on the roof of the house, and they would reach down, they would grab your head, and they go... Brrr. So finally, I just got over it. I mean, I just get up in the morning. That's when I started the mess up thing, you know, just go ahead and do it and get over with, and you don't have to worry about it. The funny thing is, I'd come home someday, and my hair would be all perked up up and everything, like evangelist or something, you know, just. (laughs) But that's just, that's another story. But I want to talk to you about relationships today, and, and we've been talking about David, King David. David learned a lot about relationships not because he wanted to be in a certain situation, but, you know, sometimes life comes at us and we find ourselves in situations and relationships that maybe we didn't ask for, but here we find ourselves. But we're in those relationships because God puts us there on the way to our destiny. Remember, David was just a simple shepherd boy. I I imagine that there were times after David began to rule and reign as a king that he just wished that he could have been back out in the field with his Taylor 914 CE singing to the sheep, you know, writing psalms and just not having to deal with people, you know. Because I've heard pastors say, I love pastoring. It's the people I have problems with. (laughs) I don't feel that way. That's the greatest thing about pastoring is being around people because I'm a people person. I just love people. And, And so... Uh, that's a good fit for me. You know, David loved sheep, and he was called a shepherd for that reason. And, and he was good at it. But we know how David, when, when God wanted to anoint a king, now the people had selected a king, and his name was Saul. It didn't turn out too good. 
Saul didn't really have a, a real relationship with God, and he had sort of a religious connection with God. He knew that he existed, and, and you know, he obeyed God sometimes, you know, and, and at least made it look like he was obeying God, but really, in his heart, he really wasn't. And we know that because of that, God said, I have taken the kingdom out of your hands and put it into someone else's hands, who, a man who has a heart after me, a man who, who has, you know, whose heart is after God. That was what God was looking for. And so there was a young man who, was, who fit the, the, the profile, but at that time he was just a shepherd boy. I don't know how old he was, maybe 17, 18 years old. I can't imagine a 13, 14-year-old boy out in the middle of nowhere taking care of sheep and knocking bears and lions in the head. So he had to be a little bit older than that, I would think. But he's out there tending sheep, and God sends Samuel to Jesse's house, which is David's father, and he tells him to go there and anoint the next king of Israel. And we know how Samuel goes, and, 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 and David has these seven brothers, and, he, and he, Samuel walks in, and he sees all of them, and he starts picking them out and saying, sort of Eliab, and, and, and maybe it's this one or that one, but it wasn't any of them. And so after he had looked down the line, he asked Jesse, he said, do you have another son? He said, something's just not, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's just not pointing out anybody here. Because God had told, told Samuel, you know, don't look on the outward appearance, for I look at the heart. And so he said, well, I got one more son, but it <laughs> can't be him. You know, he really, uh, he has a different mom than these boys. And, and it, it, he's, by all accounts, he's an accident. You know, I never really intended to have this boy, but he's part of the clan. He's out there tending sheep, and he said, well, go get him. Send him in. So they send David in, and David comes in. He said he's ruddy and handsome. I looked at that word ruddy. It means he was a redhead. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he was ruddy, redheaded, handsome boy. So that's good. I mean, all you redheaded people, God, God favors you. And so, uh, so David, you know, David comes in, and, and, and Samuel says, that's the one. And he takes the flask of oil and he anoints Samuel, anoints David as the king. So here David stands with oil dripping all over and he's like, wow, 30 minutes ago I was watching sheep and now I got oil on me and this old prophet guy says that I'm now anointed to be the king of Israel and I don't know anything about being a king. All I know about is taking care of sheep. So David had some things to learn. Same thing applies here in the house of God. When we come into the house of God, we come into our Bethlehem. We come into our house of bread. It's where we receive our bread. It's where we receive the manna of God. It's where we have an opportunity to grow. And God puts us with these other lively stones that are always knocking chips off of us. You know, we're bouncing off of each other. And, and just like we saw in that video, sometimes we have opportunities to be offended. How many have ever been offended by church people? Okay, good. You're in good company. We all have. If you haven't yet, you will. But it's a learning experience. It's a, you know, you, you've got to learn how to, to, to get along with people. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples. They couldn't even get along. Just 12 of them, you know. They were, they were always jockeying for position. One wanted to know if they could sit on Jesus' right hand in the kingdom, and the other's brother wanted to know if he could sit on the left. And his mom even, their mom even came and, 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 and politicked for them to see which one could. And Jesus said, that's not my place to do. But he had another thing in mind for them. But the thing is, God has destiny 
in you. He has made a divine deposit in your life, and each one of us have a divine, God-appointed destiny. Now, it's up to us to seek after God and discover what that destiny is and pursue it. David knew what his destiny was, but he just didn't know how to pursue it. But God made a way. God made a way for David to be under the tutelage of someone who was a king. And we know how Saul, Saul had, had disobeyed God. And when he disobeyed God, it says the spirit of the Lord left him. And then comes this evil spirit upon him that troubled his spirit all the time. And when Saul would get troubled in his spirit, they didn't know what to do with him. So someone suggested, why don't we get a minstrel? Why don't we get a musician? We happen to know a shepherd boy that, that's on the hills of Judea out there. And they say he plays a mean guitar. And, you know, he's got a Taylor 914 CE, and, and he's really good, and he sings well, and he's written a bunch of psalms or songs, and, and I think it would be good if you just let him come, and, 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 you know, when you're troubled in your spirit, he can play for you. And so that's what he did. David, David's assignment was to play for the king. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and chapter 7 that David came, and he joined himself to Saul. And Saul loved him. And David became his armor bearer. That's a pretty, pretty secure position. I mean, if you're the armor bearer, you're probably one of the closest associates of the king. So God put him right there where he could be trained. Now, his training under Saul, you could say, well, God put him under a tyrant. Well, sometimes God puts us under people to train us what not to do. But it's our responsibility to honor them and to realize God has placed us there. And that's what God did with him. I've been in such predicaments before. When God has placed me with somebody, we didn't actually see eye to eye on everything, but the thing of it was, I realized their anointing and their position, and God called me to serve them. That's my responsibility. Not my responsibility to judge what they do or anything else, because Romans 14 and 4 says, who am I to judge another man's servant? My responsibility was to honor them. Because when we honor a prophet, we receive a prophet's reward. And so that's what relationships are all about. We learn how to relate. We learn how to walk in submission. We learn how to walk in honor. And this is what David did. And David did it well, even to the point when Saul became jealous of David and wanted to kill him. And we know at that point, and I'm just kind of backtracking a little bit, bringing you up to date on what we've been talking about. David, it says he escaped from the hand of Saul because one day David was in, in, in the house with Saul and, and Saul started thinking about things and he's thinking, that's my main competition right there. I gotta get rid of him. So he starts throwing darts at him. I'm not talking about the kind you throw at a dartboard. I'm talking about javelins, you know, spears. And he's trying to pin David against the wall. And so David flees from Saul and he says he escaped, he escaped from Saul into a place called Adullam. He slipped into a cave called Adullam. And while he was in this cave, People recognized that David had destiny upon him because David had, was a great warrior. He had conquered a lot of, you know, he had basically brought peace to Israel by, de, by defeating the, the Philistines up to that point. He was the champion of God who had gone out and slain, slain Goliath and had subdued the Philistines for Saul. And Saul had promised him his daughter's hand in marriage. That's another story. There's a lot of things happening there. I'm leaving out a lot of details, but you can go back and read that for yourself. But David slipped into a cave, and when he did, it says that his family found out where he was staying, and they came and joined up with him. And not only did they come up and join up with him, but 400, or 400 other people who were 
discontented, were in debt, were under pressure. I don't know what they were running from or whatever. They were in distress, it says. They all came and joined themselves to David. Here David's just trying to get away. And they find out where he is and they come to join themselves to him. Sounds like church. You know, we all... You know, someone told me one day, you know, they came in and they said, Pastor, I see so many people that I was in the world with, I was in drugs with, I visited the bars with them. I said, isn't it great? <laughs> I said, you should feel right at home because we're all a bunch of misfits. We don't fit into this world. We're not of this world. We belong to another kingdom. We're all strangers and aliens passing through here. I don't mind telling you folks, you're looking at an alien. <laughs> I'm not of this world. I don't belong here. And I'm looking at a bunch of aliens too. The people say, those folks down in Destiny City, they're strange. We are. We're peculiar people. But that's okay. But anyway, this shepherd boy in this cave, while he's in there, he had to learn how to deal with things. And there was something that happened in his life that could have been to him and I'm going to use these two words. We used them last time. Of course, we didn't, we, I didn't get to preach last Sunday, so I'm having to go back and, and bring you up to date. There were two words that I gave to you. Do you remember what they were? One was Masuda, and the other was Masada. What is Masuda? Masuda is a trap, a snare. And David's experience could have been to him just that thing. It could have destroyed him. It could have defined him, but it didn't define him. It refined him. It changed him. It changed his thinking. It mellowed him out. It showed him how. And it says they came to David, 400 of them, and it says, and David became their captain. Their captain. He didn't become their general. He didn't become their king. You know what a captain is. Anybody in here been in the service, been in the army? If you've been in the field entry, you know what a captain does. The captain is the one who's in charge of the troops in the field. He's the one who's there. He's the one who's down in the trenches with them. He's in the foxhole with them. He's the one who's getting the information from the generals and the colonels, and he's the one who's calling the shots in the field. That's what David was to his men. And he trained them. He became their pastor in this cave. And his experience could have been a Masuda, but it became a Masada because it became a stronghold for him. It, came, it became something to him that was near and dear to his heart. And more and more people found out about what was going on in the cave, and you know what happened? There were 400 that joined themselves to him, but when David emerged from the cave called Adullam, you know how many were with him? 340,000 warriors. 340,000 warriors warriors that David had trained in that cave, that he had brought up and put destiny inside of and, and showed them their destiny, showed them what they were for, showed them that they can rule and reign with God. You see, but the thing that made a difference was that David had the right criteria for leadership. It says that he had a heart after God. It says in the book of, 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 of Acts, Acts 13, 22, it says that God, he raised up David to be their king concerning whom also he also testified and said, I have found David. Listen, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I found Jesus. No, you didn't. 
He found you. He's never been lost. But you, you were lost in your sins and your trespasses. He came looking for you. He pursued you like a jealous lover until he got your attention. David was a man who was after God's own heart. God found him out in the middle of the field tending sheep, and he found a man who had a heart after him. And it says that he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart and who will do my will. He raised him up. He raised up David. God raised him up and grew him to be the king from all his brothers. That word raised up in the Greek is the word egadro. It means to cause, to raise up, to raise up, to set up right. Now, God has done the same thing to us. He has called you. He has set you up. He has set you upright. And we have a course. We have a destiny to follow. And God wants each one of us to do that. And once we do that, then we fall into the favor of God. I love it. I am God's favorite son. I don't say that haughtily. I say that humbly because that's the way I feel. But you are too. We're favored. We're highly favored of God. That's why when people ask me how you're doing, I say I'm blessed with the best, no stress, and highly favored. Amen. I truly am. God's favor is upon my life. Do you realize I could have died so many times, but God has spared me for a reason? The devil has tried to knock my legs out for money. He's tried to kill me. He's tried to take me out. But God has destiny in me, and I'm not going anywhere until he's done with me. Gary, you're the same way. I know I have a shelf life, okay? I have a purpose. And I will not die until I have fulfilled that purpose. David, it said of David in Acts 13, 36, it says, and David fulfilled the purpose of God for his generation, then he died. That's what I want to do. But in order to do that, it takes a relationship with God. It takes a relationship with him. David had a relationship with God that Saul did not. Saul had a relationship with God. We all do. We all have a relationship with God. Either we are his children or we are not. He's still our creator. He's still our father. He's the one who created us. He's the one who breathed life into us. The word father is the word pater. Each one of us have a beginning. Each one of us have a father. But those of us who know him, whom the Spirit of God has come into our heart and entered into our heart and breathed life in us, we have a papa. We have a daddy. There's a big difference between daddy and father. I see illegitimate children all the time. They don't even know who their daddy is. They have a father. They have someone who... However it happened, whether it was lovemaking or whether it was forced upon them or whatever happened, they provided the seed to give them physical life. But they're not their daddy. But God has given us a relationship with him whereby we call him Papa. We call him Daddy. 
That's the kind of relationship that, that David had with God. God raised him up. He grew him up to be the king among all of his brothers who seemed to have everything that was needed to be a good, be good king material. But even the, the, the prophet Samuel couldn't see what God saw. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? it is, God says, it is I who try the reins of the heart. God knows the heart. Nobody else does. We can't judge the heart of an individual. Only God can do that. But the fruit of what is inside of us will eventually be revealed. Stick around long enough. You'll see what a person's made of because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's very telling what's inside of us, what comes out of our mouth. David had this to say. He wrote this in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8 in the New Living Translation. He says, you take no delight in sacrifice or offerings. What was he talking about? He's talking about religious rituals. Religious rituals. And, you know, some folks can't really seem to to adjust without the rituals and the form of religion. It, it, It speaks to them. And that's okay if that's what it takes for you. Okay? God gave the people of Israel strict religious rites and things that they had to do in order to be in right with the law of Moses. There were strict um, ritualistic things that the priest had to do in order to, to satisfy the wrath of God, in order to give them peace with God. But you know, God has given us peace through another means. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says that it is by faith that you and I have peace with God. He's given us peace with him. And when I speak of peace, this is what I'm talking about. It's not just, you know, not trembling and shaking and stuff. It's being at one. Being at one with. It's being at one with. My wife and I can have peace in the house in that we're not yelling at each other. We're not throwing things at each other. But if we're not one with each other, we're truly not at peace because there's division in the house. But when she and I are at one with each other, there's peace. And that's what we have with God. And and God has given us that by faith. There is nothing between God and us because all the righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled through Jesus' sacrifice and his blood, which is sufficient, has given us peace with God in that we're right with him. I like that. There's nothing that stands in the way between me and God. God and I are one. I'm one with the Father. Jesus prayed that for us. He prayed, Father, let them be one, even as you and I are one. And when we're one with the Father, then guess what? We're one with each other. Because we cannot be right with God if we're not right and have right relationships with those around us. Because if we don't have right relationship and we're carrying that fence around with us, you know, it separates us. It creates a wall of separation, and we have to deal with that. We have to destroy that offense. We have to break it down. We have to deal with it. David dealt with all those things when he was in the cave. God even sent Saul into the cave 
for David. Think of that. Saul was actually in pursuit of David. He had 3,000 crack soldiers of Israel, and they were out to get David, and they were not looking for him so that they could bring him back, put a crown on his head, and exalt him as king. Their intentions were to annihilate him and destroy him. So Saul is riding along with his troops one day, and I don't know what they had for breakfast, but all of a sudden it hit him. And Saul had to go and relieve himself. I'm sorry, this is what the Bible says, okay? It's in the Bible. So it says Saul goes into the cave. Guess what cave he went into? Adullam. That's where David was hiding out. So David's back in this cave with all of his troops. He's like, shh. <laughs> Somebody's coming in. So Saul comes in, and he begins to relieve himself Obviously, it wasn't a number one because David slipped up behind him and cut off the corner of his robe. And when Saul finished his business and started to leave, David was convicted in his heart. You know why? Because he had dishonored Saul. Now, a lot of people say that David was stricken in his heart because he had dared touch God's anointed. I believe he was stricken in his heart because he had dishonored somebody that he loved. He loved Saul. David loved him. Because he cried out to Saul and he said, my father, Papa. And Saul turned around and David is holding up the corner of his robe. And he knew immediately what that meant. David had opportunity to kill him, but David didn't. And there was another time when Saul was asleep with his troops and they were worn out. They'd been chasing after David and, 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 and David came upon Saul while he was asleep and, and one of, had one of his crack soldiers with him and, and, uh, and, and they went and took his very spear out of the ground beside his head. And his, his soldier said to him, let me kill him. <laughs> Let me, let me just pin him to the ground, and we can pin Abner to the ground too, his general. We can get rid of both of them, and we can put you on the throne, and you will be the king. We can take a shortcut here. We don't have to go through the process, and sometimes we want to take shortcuts. We want to do things our way when God says, no, let me handle it. Let me do it my way. And so he didn't. David said, I will not touch God's anointed. I will not do it. I cannot touch God's anointed. I can't touch this man. I love this man too much. I can't do it. And so David didn't. But God raised David up, and, and David learned these things in his relationship because he was a man after God's own heart, and he understood something about God that many don't understand, and that is this, that God is a God of mercy. He's a merciful God. If God wanted to take vengeance upon his enemies, don't you think that God could have already? Don't you think that God could have destroyed us and every one of us would have been guilty and every one of us could have been in that number because the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and that's where you and I were. If you read the book of Romans, you will see that in Romans chapter one and it talks about mankind and it talks about how we were reserved for, for wrath but through what Jesus did, God removed his wrath and 
his justice from us because he rightly could have destroyed us because of our sin, but he had chose instead because the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, all, everybody say all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. But God didn't choose to kill us. He did not choose to destroy us, but God chose to show us mercy and grace. He chose to make us at one with him through the blood of Jesus by his grace. Not only did God choose to remove his wrath from us, God chose to favor us and adopt us into his family. Wow. I have some friends that had a son that was 20 years old and he was working in a convenience store just trying to earn a little bit extra money and a young man came into the store and for no reason took a gun, put it to his head and pulled the trigger. They caught up with him. They tried him. They put him in prison. And this couple who were pastors, knew that they had to forgive this man. And it was difficult. You can only imagine someone takes the life of your beloved son. It was the only son they had. And they knew that in order to be right with God, they had to forgive him. So here's what they did. They went and requested permission to visit him in prison. You know, it's, it's very difficult for someone who has been, been harmed by someone to visit them in prison. But miraculously, God made a way that they could go and to visit this young man in prison. So they began to start to visit him. They would visit him every weekend. And they would go and they would tell him this one thing. We forgive you. We forgive you. God loves you. God wants to forgive you. He doesn't want you to bear the guilt of what you've done. And I forgive you, and God forgives you. We want you to know that. And after a while, that message began to get through to this young man. And this couple determined in their heart that they were going to forgive him of what he had done. Justice said, Justice said that they have, could have cried out, they could have demanded the death penalty for this young man. That's what justice would have demanded. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They took my son, kill him. But they chose rather to show mercy. Mercy is when we deserve punishment, but we don't get it. They also wanted to show something else, the grace of God, the undeserved love and favor. To that young man, they started bringing him gifts, started loving on him. That young man gave his heart to Jesus. That young man became a believer. They developed a love relationship with this young man. As hard as it was, he's still in prison. He'll spend the rest of his life in prison. But he's freer than most people who are walking around outside because his sins are forgiven. He has a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus and because of the forgiveness of this couple that chose to show love and forgiveness and grace to him rather than taking judgment upon him because mercy triumphs over judgment and love covers a multitude of sins. They learned that relationship. This is what David was dealing with with Saul. 
and he had a love relationship with God. And he says, you take no delight in sacrifice or offerings or religious rituals. You have made me to listen. I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come, as is written of me in the scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written where? On my heart. Your instructions are written upon my heart. When we have a heart after God, we understand that we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We listen to what God says. Our ears are tuned to him. We want to do what is right in his eyes. We're not interested so much in ritual and sacrifice. It's not about whether we tithe or or whether we don't tithe. That's not going to make you right with God. It will cause you to miss out on the blessings of God, but it won't make you right with God. What makes you right with God is your desire to do his will. And that's what David had. He had a love relationship with God and a desire to pursue that which, which pleased him. It wasn't, he wasn't always perfect in that pursuit. We see that. David wasn't perfect, but neither are you. My dad told me one time, he says, you know, he said, I found a perfect church one time and I went and joined up with it and messed it up. thing of it is, God has provided a means to deal with our indiscretions. It's a thing called grace. It's a thing called mercy. And I like what it says, you know, David or Paul, the apostle Paul talked about, and, and, and Ken brought that up on Thursday night. If you weren't here, you missed it. Sorry. But you still got opportunity to come catch it this week. On Thursday night, we're doing, Ken is doing his book, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? Just a this advertisement there's really, really good. But anyway, he was talking about uh, Paul and, and his struggle that he talked about in Romans chapter 7. He said that struggle of, of wanting to do good, wanting to do what's right, and not doing it, and, and not, doing, not wanting to do what was bad and yet doing it. Anybody ever struggle with that? You know? Here, you, you, you want to do, you know, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible next week. I'm going to finish the whole thing. That's a good thing, right? You don't do it because you realize, you know, you're incapable. Too many distractions. I'm not sure it's a good thing anyway. But anyway, because you're just reading it for religious purposes. But it's <laughs> another story. But here's what he said. He, he talked about his struggle. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? He said, but thanks be unto God. Thank God for his spirit. And in Romans 8, 1, he says, so there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like like the bodies we sinners have, And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control control your minds leads to death. 
But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. When you think about that word sinful, what does that mean? (laughs) Being full of sin. Always thinking about things that are not in line with the will of God. That's where your mind is. And the world loves to feed that, you know. I mean, there's so many things that the enemy uses to feed our minds if we allow it to be so. I won't even go into them. Y'all know. Even our telephones these days. I mean, the enemy has set so many traps for us. Facebook, fake book, whatever. <laughs> Facebook, and you know where you make fake friends, virtual friends. You know, you friend somebody you don't even know. I'm having a real relationship with them. You talk to them, but you won't talk to the people sitting next to you. You know, I, I've seen it. I've been, in, I've been in situations where you got 10 people sitting around and nobody's talking, but everybody's sitting there going, you know. Some people got thumbs, I mean, big around my wrist where they've been. But we don't have real relationships. And the devil has set that up for us. Some people even have virtual church. I mean, for those of you who are watching this morning on Facebook Live, you're missing it because you're not here. Don't let that take the place of being in the house of God. There, I said it. And if I offended you, I'm not sorry. Because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves and encouraging one another. And so much the more as you see that day approaching, not so much the less. So if you were able to drag your carcass out of bed and go to work tomorrow morning, you should have been here today or else you're just being disobedient to God. Case closed. Okay, thank you. We have a tool for people who cannot come to church, who are incapable. Maybe you have to work and you can still watch it at your phone if you have that opportunity and you're not violating your principles or your job. Don't do it if you are because you're being disobedient and rebellious. But if there are opportunities for you to watch us on Facebook Live, we encourage that if that's the only way you can get the gospel. If you're away on vacation or something, hey, cool. Check us out. But don't let that take the place of fellowship with other people and being a part, a viable part of the body of Christ. That's another message. I'm just, I'm, I'm meddling right now. So, But anyway, so let's, let's move on. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, do not belong to Him at all. Wow. Everybody says, you know, I've heard people say, well, I'm a child of God, just like everybody else. Without the Spirit of God, you're dead. Sorry. But when you do have the Spirit of God in you, then Christ is living in you, and that's what gives you life. And if Christ lives within you, 
So even though your body will die because of, your, of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised him from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by that same Spirit living within you. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And this is the good part. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. God hasn't called us and put his thumb on us and says, Now I want you to wiggle like a worm. You got to do this. You got to do that. Don't smoke, dip, chew, run around with the boys that do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Wear your hair this way. Wear your hair that way. He doesn't do that. He set us free from all that stuff. And instead, he says, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. I love that. It was God's choice. You were God's choice. You were not illegitimate. You were chosen by him. You were adopted into his family. And because you were adopted into his family, and Paul is speaking to Romans, and they understood exactly what he was talking about because what Paul was saying under Roman law, once you were adopted into a family, you received full rights as sons, and you could not be in any way disowned. You're part of the family. Hallelujah. I love it. So I understand this. I can pick my friends, but I'm stuck with my family. I got to love you. I got no choice, but I choose to. We've been adopted. He says, you have, not he says, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba, Father, Papa, Papa, Papa. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also share his sufferings. Hallelujah. I love it. The apostle Paul said in, Roma, in, in, in Romans 3.10, he said that Oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection being made conformable unto his death in order that I might attain unto the resurrection of life. Being made, sharing in his sufferings, being made conformable to his death. That was Paul's desire. You know, it's a badge of honor. Remember the apostles when they were, they were, they were taken and they were beaten and thrown into jail, Peter and John. And, and so when they got out the next day, they were rejoicing that they were chosen to share in the sufferings of Jesus. They were glad. Hey, it's a cool thing, you know. Hey, Pete, I know what that cool been beaten. We stood up for Jesus. We shared in his sufferings. That's just the coolest thing. So most of us don't want to do that. So our relationship with God is as his sons. We've been adopted into his family. We've been made joint heirs with Christ. You know what kind of position that puts us in? We were once under the penalty of sin and death. 
We were alienated from the life of God because of it. But now, because of Christ and what he accomplished at Calvary, we have a brand new relationship with God. We were once under his wrath. Read about it in Romans chapters 1 through 3. But because of what Jesus now, by faith, we have, we have been made right with God and we're at peace with him. 2 Corinthians, you all know this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17 says, so we have stopped evaluating ourselves from a human point of view at one time. We thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. A new life has begun. I think of it this way. You know, before I came to the Lord, I had some illicit, illicit relationships that went nowhere. Anybody ever been there? You know, you've been in abusive relationships where someone is just using you for whatever purposes. They use you. They get tired of you. They abuse you. When they're done with you, they leave you hurting and scarred. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or someone, say, is in a bad marriage. They're in an abusive relationship in a marriage where they're beaten, they're, they're belittled, they're talked about, they're put down all the time, they're made feel less than, and, and they're just, they, they're humiliated. That's what sin does to us. And we were once married to that. We were in a bad relationship. I was in a bad relationship. Then along comes Jesus, and he sees me. And for whatever reason, he finds me attractive. I don't get it because I certainly wasn't attractive, but he, he pursued me like a jealous lover. He said, I want that. I want that boy. I want him in my kingdom. I, I want him so bad. I love him so much. And he loved me so much that I was under the penalty of death because of the things that I had done, which were horrific. You see, I had sinned. And because I had sinned, I was under the sentence of death because the soul that sinned us shall surely die. Every one of us are there. Every one of us. I was in a bad relationship with the very one who caused that, and he was my lover. Bad. I'm talking about Satan himself. I served him. I did whatever he wanted me to do. I didn't understand that there was someone who could love me so completely, someone who could love me so much. Until one day, God gave me a revelation of how much Jesus wanted my love. How much he, he desired me. When I saw that he had placed himself on the cross to die in my place for the things that I had done, he loved me that much. And when he did that, I said, I've got to leave my old lover behind and I've got to join myself to this one because he loves me so much more than this other one. And you know what? My Jesus since then has never, ever, ever put me down. He's never humiliated me. All he's done is lift up my life. All he's done is pour his favor in my life. All he's done is given me gifts. All he's done is just bestow his love and favor upon me. I'm married to him. Hallelujah. I love him. He's my lover. He's my, he's my king. I adore him. I adore him. Why? He got me out of a bad relationship. He rescued me. And some of you can relate to that. 
You've been in that place where you've been in a bad relationship, and you know what it is to be in a good relationship with someone who truly loves you, someone who adores you. That's it. That's just exactly the way it is with Christ. That's why David had such a love relationship with God. He, he, he understood what it meant to be at peace with him. And that's what it is for us when we come to Jesus and we're, we're with him. And it says in Romans 5 and 1, it says, therefore being justified. Everybody say justified, never sinned. Justified, never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. And that's the way Jesus sees us. As though we had never sinned, that's the way God looks upon us. Our sin doesn't count against us anymore. He doesn't see our old life. He doesn't see where we were before. All he sees now is the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus upon us. The fragrance of Christ upon us. We look different. We smell different. We are different. Because he has given us peace, therefore, having been justified by faith, faith, we have peace with God. That word peace is the word irene. Everybody say irene. Irene. We have peace with God. It means to be at one with. I am at one with the Father. I'm no longer in that bad relationship, but I know what it is to be in a relationship with Jesus. David had that kind of relationship with God in that he was so adjoined with God on the Judean hillsides when there was nobody else around. He spent time praying and seeking after God, wanting to know the Creator. And I can just remember, I can just imagine, you know, he's got his, he's got his parchment or whatever he's writing with, and he's looking up into the heavens. And he says, when I consider the heavens and the works of thy hands, the moon and the stars which you have made, what am I? What am I that you're mindful of me? And yet, and yet, you consider me. I can just imagine David doing that. But you know, the same goes for me. I look at him and I see how fast and how great, how wonderful he is. And I say, Lord, who am I? Who am I that you would take notice of me? Who am I that you would love me so much? But he does. And that's the wonder of it all. That's called, it's a thing called grace. It's undeserved love and mercy and favor. And that's what God has given us. David wrote this particular psalm, and most of us know it by heart. But I like the way that it's written in the New Living Translation. And it says this, and I'm done when I get through with this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He rests, he makes, he, let, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, even the valley of death itself, I will not be afraid, for you are close to me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. Remember, he was remembering. You honor me. He was in the house of Jesse when Samuel came and he anointed his head with oil. He says, you anoint my head with oil. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm forever in your family, Father. I'm your son. You have made me a son. I was unworthy. 
in my own eyes. But I was worthy in his. I was worth something. When we sing that song that Jeremy and Katie Kuntz wrote, Katie Leslie now, not Kuntz. He made me worthy. Every time we sing that song, it brings me to tears because I think about how unworthy I was and how that Jesus saw worth in me. None of us are unworthy. (laughs) We're not unworthy. No, not in his eyes. You're worth more to him than anything else. You're worth more to him, to God, than his own son. That's how worthy you are to him. He made us worthy because of his love. We've been reconciled to God where we were once separated from relationship with him because of our sin. But Jesus dealt with our sins through his death on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. So we have a whole new relationship with God. We have a heart after God because he first had a heart after us. He pursued us like a jealous lover. The Bible says in Zephaniah that he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Think about that. You know what the apple of your eye is? Take your finger and poke yourself right in the eye. That's the apple, the pupil of your eye. And God says, he that touches you sticks his finger in my eye. I'll not put up with it. I'm a jealous God. I love you. I'm after you. God has a heart for you. And all he wants from us is to love him in return, to be thankful, to be thankful for what he has done for us. And I don't know about you, but whenever I do something, whether willfully or unwillfully, that I know that dishonors my God, it cuts me to the quick. It cuts me to the heart. And quickly it causes me to repent and say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you know what God does immediately? He forgives me. Because his word says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When he says all, you know what that means? All. Every bit of it. He loves you. He loves you. He cannot unlove you. We can't understand that. The only way we can understand it is through the relationship we have with our children. Because we love our children, right? Can you in any way possible, is there any way possible that you can unlove your kids? No. You're going to love them no matter what they do, right? It's the same way. He loves you. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for you. Oh, how he loves us. 
How's that song go? He is jealous for me. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for your love for us. We're so grateful that before we ever looked for you, you pursued us. You came after us. You left the 90 and 9 who were saved, and you came after us. You sought for us, and you brought us back with rejoicing. And your word tells us, Father, that when one sinner comes home, that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. And that means that it's not the angels who are rejoicing, but it is you. It is you that rejoices over one lost sinner who comes home, who acknowledges their need for you, and who understands. They get it. We finally get it, that you love us, you care for us. And that's what it's all about. With every head bowed this morning, I want to ask that question of you. I want to ask you a simple question. Do you know how much God loves you? Have you even thought about how much he loves you? Has it even crossed your mind how much he loves you? The Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten beloved son that if you would just believe in him and receive what he has for you that you won't have to perish you won't have to go out with a bad lover who is abusing you and accusing you and holding you down and keeping you from your destiny but you can break free you can enter into a new relationship with someone who believes in you someone who cares for you someone who wants you wants you so badly that they were willing to bankrupt heaven in order to show you how much they care for you. Do you, you understand how much God loves you? And if you understand how much God loves you, how in the world can you reject a love like that? How can you say no to a God like that? How can you run from a God like that who is pursuing you so much? He, he wants you. He goes after you. The Bible says in Psalm 138, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from you? If I go to the mountains, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. You hem me in from front and back. You hem me in on all sides. Listen, if you're here this morning, God's pursuing you. He's going to keep after you. He loves you so much, he's not going to let you get away. Where can you go from his presence? You can't. My dad tried. He moved all the way to the bottom of the world to try to get away from God. It didn't work. Went all the way to Australia. Thought he could get away from God. Thought he could get away from the conviction of his sins and the love of God that God was calling out to him. But he could not. Because God was in pursuit of him. God knew exactly where he was at. And one night, my dad got a revelation of it. 
that God pursued him all the way to Australia. And my dad fell out, on, out of the bed onto his knees and cried out to God and said, Lord, I can't run anymore. I receive you. I want you. And God changed his life. And I remember the night that I came to Jesus and I came to my brother. I had been on the run from God and I came home to my mother's house and I went in and my brother was laying on the bed. He had this big Bible in on his chest with the light on and I go in and he's got his eyes closed. I think he fell asleep reading the Bible or a thing compressed his chest so much he passed out. I don't know. But I tapped him and I said, his name was Paul. I said, Paul, I'm tired of running. He popped up. He says, who are you running from? I said, I'm tired of running from God, from myself. I'm tired of running from the devil. I'm just tired. He said, well, go in the bathroom and talk to God. I'll be there in a few minutes. And so I did. It changed my life. That moment that I said yes to God, it was just what he'd been waiting to hear from me. And today he might be speaking to one of you and he might be saying to you, look, I've pursued you. I've come after you. I'm not going to stop pursuing you. I'm going to keep after you. But today is a good opportunity for you to say yes to the marriage proposal that I have for you. I want you to understand that I love you so much. I just want to enter into a relationship with you. I'll take all your guilt, all your shame, all your sin, everything else. And if you decide that you want it back, that's your choice. But I'll take it. You get a grief, sorrow, sickness, sin back guarantee if that's what you want. But I'll take it away from you right now if you will let me, if you want me to. And he will right this moment, right now. It's your choice. So we're going to pray a simple prayer. I'm not going to ask you to get up, crawl on your knees down here or anything else. But right where you are right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to enter into a covenant relationship with somebody who loves you so much that all they want to do is bless you, put you in right relationship with God the Father, and share everything that Father has given to Him with you make you a joint heir of everything he has to make you a son of God. That's the offer that he's making for you right now. How can you refuse that? So right now, I just want you to pray with me. I want everybody to pray with me. God in heaven, how can you love me so much that you would give your own son to die in my place? I don't understand it. It defies all logic that you could love me so much. But you do. And I made a decision today. I'm tired of walking with my old lover. I've been abused too much. And my old lover's sin has just about destroyed my life. And I realize if I continue to walk with him that the end result is death. I don't want that. I choose life. And I ask you, Father, to become daddy. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your proposal. I say yes to you. 
And I make a choice to honor you with my heart, my attitudes, my life for the rest of my days. And I thank you for your favor and your love and your grace that will allow me to fulfill the destiny that you have for me. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Now just give him some worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.